good to be uh, back at St. Mark's, and uh, thank you for the invitation and the welcome. Look forward to meeting some of you again afterwards, and some of you perhaps for the first time as well. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Gracious God, your word is light and life. Shine its light in our hearts, we pray, so that we may love you with all our heart and soul and strength. For Jesus' sake, amen. In recent weeks, you've been following the story of ancient Israel coming out of Egypt. God's miracles at the hand of Moses coming through the parted Red Sea, through then the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, I think at the end of your series on Exodus, uh, you saw the beginning of the laws that God gave ancient Israel. And it might be that at times you think, this is very remote from the 21st century in a Western country in a comfortable place. And you might have thought, yes, these, these laws, the Ten Commandments, they're very old-fashioned, really. And you might think there's something good and noble about them, but they're a long way away from where our society is, maybe from where you are as well. And it could be that as you may have thought a little bit about those laws, that the sense of, of law as in, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, that sort of sense of obligation uh, might have come to your mind. We often think of the Old Testament, of the laws that God gave, many of them are rather curious and, and peculiar for us, to think, oh, it's all about, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Am I getting it right? I suspect that some of the ways we think about Old Testament law is a little bit like how we think of the COVID rules and regulations. That is, it's almost impossible to remember what I am and am not meant to be doing. So I overheard someone walk in this morning saying, do I have to wear a mask? Good question. Where am I? Am I in Melbourne? Am I in regional Victoria? Which state am I in? Because it varies so, so much. Uh, some of you will know that I've had the job of communicating COVID rules to all the churches in our diocese. And I've had to send out, I think now, 133 newsletter emails because the rules change all the time and clarity comes only sort of after the rules come into effect. And even I get confused, what are we meant to be doing today and what are we allowed to do? And I think sometimes we, we, as we imagine the Old Testament law, we think, gosh, what, are, what were they meant to do? What should I have done? Should this be right? That sort of sense of, of doing the right thing and the complications involved. And I think sometimes as we reflect on the, the distance to ancient Israel, how remote it is, how, how far away from us some of those laws, even the great ones like the Ten Commandments are, but knowing the complicated, detailed laws that follow the Ten Commandments, we might think, oh, thank goodness, I live after Jesus and all I have to do is love him. But when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, this is the great and first commandment, he's actually not saying anything new. I chose the reading from Deuteronomy 6 because I thought it might 
be a helpful way to follow on from the series that you've been looking at through the book of Exodus. Jesus is asked about the laws at different times and gives the answer, well, the, the first and great law is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But as I say, there's nothing new in that. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That law was given to ancient Israel through Moses, the same Moses who led Israel out from Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to Mount Sinai and beyond Mount Sinai to the edge of the Promised Land after the book of Exodus. So the laws of which there are many, some say over 600, uh, in a way they all hinge back into, they're all connected back into this key law of love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. The heart we think of as a sort of an emotional center. Our heart sort of gets fast when we're, you know, there might be a, a romantic sense of something. But the heart is more than an emotion in ancient Israel. The heart was the center of their will, their decision-making, and their thinking. In fact, in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for mind. So when Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, he says, heart, soul, mind, and strength. The word mind's not there. There is no such word in ancient Hebrew. The heart encompassed the sort of feeling, the emotion, the decision-making, the will, and the thinking, the mind. The strength has sort of got the physical side to it. That is, it's not just what you think, but it's also what you do. But the strength is uh, heart and, and uh, strength is also about your, your possessions as well. Not just what you are or who you are, but what you have. And in the middle of that is this word soul. Heart, soul and strength. Now many of us, I think, are, are influenced, maybe unbeknownst to us, by Plato the Greek philosopher, because we sort of think sometimes that the soul is the non-physical bit of us that's going to live forever and float up into the sky. But that's actually not what this word is about, and it's not biblical thinking to think like that. We believe in the whole of us being resurrected at the end. The soul is really the, the living being, and, and it's a way of saying me, myself, all I am, my whole entirety, my heart, in fact, my whole entirety, and indeed all my strength of who I am and what I have. That is, the three words are not sort of separate compartments, but it's sort of, if you like, expanding so that there's nothing about me, who I am or what I have, that is outside of the command to love God. That is, I, an ancient Israelite, I, a follower of Jesus... And to love God with absolutely everything that I am, that I will be, that I have. That is, there's nothing else, no, no bit of me that's left out of this commandment, if I can put it like that. Now, that's not how we often think about following God. But it would have been quite provocative to an ancient Israelite. As far as I'm aware, there's almost no suggestion in the ancient uh, world of loving your gods. 
You obey them, you serve them, you worship them, you offer sacrifices to them, and so on. And those words are used for the God of ancient Israel, our God, the God in the Old Testament. But love sort of is, is, is much rarer. It may even be unique. There's a bit of debate about this, I think. Love is sort of personal, and love is relational. When we often think of these remote laws of the Old Testament, we, we think of them sort of you know, in, in, in a sort of uh, complicated way of behaviour, as though, oh, yeah, I better do this. Oh, yeah, I've got to do this. And, and that's how we often think of these, oh, I better put my mask on. I've got to do this or that. But even as Christians sometimes, when we think about our worship, oh, yeah, I better go to church. Oh, yeah, I better give my offering in. Oh, I better do this because that's what God wants. That sort of slightly reluctant, maybe perfunctory way of doing what we think God wants is actually not in the end what God wants. What God wants is a relationship of love to him with absolutely everything that I am and have. And it's not new when Jesus said that. What that, that should mean for us is that as we come to Old Testament law, for example, as we read the Old Testament and think about the commands, the, the rebukes of the prophets, etc., it's not just about an, an external perfunctory obedience that God requires. Even in the Old Testament, God wants their whole living being to love him, to be in a relationship with him. And therefore, what does it mean to love God? Well, it will mean that we put away idols or graven images, the first couple of the Ten Commandments, for example. It will mean that we don't steal. Not because, oh yeah, God says I better not steal, so I better not do it. But rather because I love God, I'm not going to steal someone's property. I'm not going to covet their goods. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm going to honor my parents, etc. That is, love of God is not merely a warm feeling, an emotion that I may have back to God. Oh, I feel good about God today. But rather, love will be seen in faithful obedience to the laws. I will follow this law. I will keep this law. I will do what God requires, not because, oh, yeah, I better do it because that's what God's like, but rather because I love God. That's what, that's what this is all about, for, whether for ancient Israel or indeed for Christians today. What it shows us is that who we are on the inside matters. God's not just looking on the surface. Now, now we can only look on the surface, by and large. We often get indications of, of, of each other's hearts, but you'll be pleased, and I'm very pleased, that you don't see inside my heart and I can't see inside yours. Sometimes we might judge each other's motives a little bit because of how we say things or how we do things. But on the whole, we, we can only see the outside, the behavior, hear the words. But God knows our hearts. God sees our hearts. And that's, of course, quite you know, provocative in a way to think, oh, gosh, God sees my poor motives, my reluctance to keep his law, and my lack of love for others and for him and so on. But God wants our hearts to be captured and captivated. Who we are on the inside matters to God. Now sometimes I think we forget that and we think it's all about 
putting up appearances. Hyacinth bouquet spirituality. That is, it's what other people see that matters. But actually, God sees everything. And what other people see at one level doesn't matter. I mean, we, we, we are to set examples for each other. But more fundamentally, this is driving us to say, where is my heart with God? Do I love God with all my heart and soul and strength? Now, this response, as I say, is meant to be total. And it's premised on the fact that God is the only God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that's saying something about the unity of God, God being one. But it's pushing that a bit further. There's different way. It's, it's a sort of very tightly written statement. And it's a little bit debated exactly how you uh, um, in, in, interpret that. But basically, it's saying there is only one God. And, and this comes out of the previous chapters of Deuteronomy, and indeed that goes back to Exodus as well, and beyond that. So God alone is the God who's conquered the gods of Egypt, who's brought Israel out from Egypt through the wilderness, provided miraculously for them, spoken to them audibly on Mount Sinai. No other God has done anything like that. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, what other God has done something like this? There is no other God. And God has done it to you, for you, so that you may know that he and he alone is God. Therefore, in effect, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, if there were a pantheon of gods, as the ancient Romans and Greeks and Canaanites and Assyrians and Babylonians all thought, if there was a God for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a God for the sun, the rain, the moon, a God for this place and that place, a God for the plain and a God for the hills then you would never be expected to love any God or respond to any God with all of anything because you need to give a bit to this and a bit to that. So if you like, the, the, the oneness of God, the fact that he alone is God, what we might call theoretically monotheism, demands our utter allegiance of him. There is only one God and he demands, rightly expects, and rightly deserves our everything. Now that again, I think, challenges us. Maybe it's easy for us to love God on a Sunday morning, maybe most of Sunday, but sometimes we forget on Monday to Saturday and we sort of compartmentalize our, our response to God, our faith in God. But what this this uh, commandment is saying, the great commandment as Jesus called it, for both ancient Israelites and followers of Jesus, is that there is nothing outside of our life's activity that should not be expressed in love to God. So when you go on and read the detailed laws, whether that's in Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy itself, you'll find laws about tassels on your cloak, about looking after birds' nests, picking up friends' animals or neighbours' animals and property, not moving your property boundary. They're all very mundane sorts of things. What foods are clean and unclean, how you should respond in different circumstances and situations. What that's telling us is that there is no area of our life that is outside of, or meant to be outside of, our devotion to God. Again, that's unique in the Old Testament. 
There are laws that we've, archaeologists have found that come out of ancient Babylon or Egypt or Assyria, other countries of the ancient world uh, in Old Testament times, and none of them has an integration of general society law and worship of God or their gods or the pantheon of their gods. So the Old Testament's unique in that. So the laws of Hammurabi, for example, they, they overlap with some of the laws of the Old Testament. You know, don't, don't commit adultery and steal and you know, be a jolly decent fellow and all that sort of stuff. But they don't integrate like the Old Testament does the worship of God. So what it means is that as I do my daily work in a sort of, you know, whether it's a, a sort of secular-ish environment, it's a modern word, but I hope you get what I mean, every aspect of what I'm doing, Monday to Saturday and Sunday, privately or publicly, is to be an expression of my love for God. That, again, I think should challenge us because I'm not sure that it's always how we feel. We, we tend to compartmentalise things in our lives. So we do our work and we've got our family and we've got our church and we might have a hobby or a social thing or whatever. And we don't necessarily think about, am I doing my Monday to Friday work? Am I relating to my family, close family, extended family, out of love for God? Do I see it all as part of my devotion to God? There may be many of you do, I hope. But I think this, this verse, this command is challenging us to that effect, that our devotion to God is to be utter, is to be total, encompasses everything we are and do, every moment we're awake, etc. Uh, all of it is to be in response to God. The key word here is love. There are various other words that are used in the Old Testament, for example, and in the New, for our response, our basic response to God, whether that's faith or fear or serve or worship. This one is love. Elsewhere in Deuteronomy, you get serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. The words all overlap, it seems, and there's probably a rhetorical reason for using varieties of words. But it's interesting that love here is the one that Jesus quotes as the great commandment. Love is reciprocal with God. There is no other word that's reciprocal. That is, we worship God, he doesn't worship us. We serve God. He doesn't serve us particularly. We might fear God. He doesn't fear us. We, we should have faith in God. He doesn't have faith in us. But love works both ways. And so this command to love God is based on the fact that God loves God's people, ancient Israel and those who follow Jesus in the New Testament. And both Testaments show that to be the case. We sometimes think that it's Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, that shows us God loving us. But actually, God loved his people way back in the Old Testament. And Deuteronomy makes that clear in a few places. I loved you or I loved your ancestors, etc. That is, our love of God is in response to his prior love of us. And one of the things you will have seen, I, I hope, in the Exodus series that you've just had, is that... The laws are only given once they're out of Egypt, into the wilderness, and at Mount Sinai. They're not given in Egypt, and they're not given to Abraham even before they go to Egypt. They only come now. 
And I think a key reason for that, I think there are two. One is now Israel is becoming a nation and is about to inherit their own land and therefore this is how to live as a nation, society and so on under God. But I think the other reason is just as important. God chose Israel, chose Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses and so on. God saved them, redeemed them, liberated them from Egypt before he ever gave them the law. The law responds to the grace of God that's already been demonstrated powerfully through their liberation from Egypt. The law is not about getting right with God. It's not about getting to a certain standard so that God might love us or so that God might save us. But rather it's, wow, God, you've chosen us for no obvious reason, nothing about us. You've loved us, you've saved us, you've brought us out powerfully towards a promised land that you've, you've basically given to us as our inheritance, though we don't deserve it. Therefore, this is how we respond. And so it is in the New Testament. So it is for us as well. Even though we're under a new covenant, God loves us and loved us in Jesus. Therefore, we are to love him with all our heart, soul and strength back. We're not loving him to win his love, to woo him, but rather he's loved us to woo us into loving him back with all that we are and all that we have. It's very important to get that order right because I think our default position is, oh, I've got to be a good person so God will accept me. Now, maybe you've thought that, maybe you, you currently think that. And I think sometimes when we've when we've just sort of lost our sense of grace a little bit, we default back into that sort of legalistic, I've got to be a good person type of theology. But this verse comes in the context of a God who's already loved, powerfully loved ancient Israel. Therefore, in response, they're to love him and obey him. And so it is with Jesus as well. That is our love back to God and our faithful obedience of his laws is not to win his favor, but because he's extended his gracious favor to us. So important was this commandment to ancient Israel that Moses says, goes on to say, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, not just on a, on a Bible page or a tablet of stone or even a modern tablet for that matter. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. What does that mean? Is they, are they sort of specific places and times to talk with your children about these laws? Oh, well, I'm not walking along the road, and I'm not sitting at home, so I don't have to bother. Oh, it's when I go out, but not when I stay out. Hebrew often put together two opposites, and the opposites sort of mean everything in between. The expression in English I can think of that does that is when you've lost something and you say, gosh, I've searched high and low for it. Oh, we'll search in the middle. We don't say, what, that is what we mean is I've searched high and low means I've searched everywhere. So when it says, talk about this when you're at home and when you walk along the road means everywhere. There's no limitation of place or space. And talk about them when you lie down and when you get up that is, there's no limitation of time. That is, so important is this law 
that all my heart, soul, and strength is to be in love for God, that wherever I am and at whatever time, this applies to me. This applies to us. And notice the importance of teaching the children. It's important for the parents and indeed for the community of God's people. But it's not a responsibility that parents should abrogate to the Sunday school teachers. It's a responsibility of parents and godparents and those sponsors that have been on the stage this morning, in fact. That is to teach the children the faith. Not just about being good, not just about Christian morals, but about loving God with all your heart. Over the years, as you might have heard people say this, maybe you think this yourself, I've heard so many people say, oh, look, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I, I have Christian values. Now, sometimes if I'm in a grumpy mood, which is often, I might say to somebody like that, no, you don't. Now, that shocks them, but it's true. Because when people say, oh, I've got Christian values, why aren't they loving God with all their heart? That is, they think that Christianity is morality of a sort. But Christianity is a relationship with God, of loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength. It was for ancient Israel, and so it is for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every day, every hour of every day, wherever we may be, whatever we may be doing, with whoever we're in company so that our whole beings will love you for Jesus' sake. Amen.